Chapter Sixteen of the Crown of Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Crown of Life by George Gissing. Chapter Sixteen. A few days after her return, Irene left home in the morning to make an unceremonious call. She was driven to Great Portland Street and alighted before a shop which bore the number of the house she sought. Having found the private entrance, a door that stood wide open, and after ringing once or twice without drawing anyone's attention, she began to ascend the uncarpeted stairs. At that moment there came down a young woman humming an air, a cheery-faced, solidly built damsel, dressed with attention to broad effect in colours which were then, or recently had been, known as aesthetic. With some diffidence, for the encounter was not of a kind common in her experience, Irene asked this person for a direction to the rooms occupied by Miss Hannaford. "'Oh, she's my chum,' was the genial reply. "'Top floor front. You'll find her there.' With thanks the visitor passed on, but had not climbed half a dozen steps when the clear-sounding voice caused her to stop. "'Beg your pardon and all that kind of thing, but would you mind telling her that Tompkins is huffy? I forgot to mention it before I came out. Thanks awfully. Puzzled, if not disconcerted, Miss Derwent reached the top floor and knocked. A voice she recognised bade her enter. She found herself in a bare-floored room, furnished with a table, a chair or two, and a divan. On the walls a strange exhibition of designs in glaring colours, which seemed to be studies for street posters. At the table, bending over a drawing-board, sat Olga Hannaford, her careless costume and the disorder of her hair suggesting that she had only just got up. She recognised her visitor with some embarrassment. "'Irene! I'm so glad. I really am ashamed. We keep such hours here. Please don't mind.' Oh, "'Not I, indeed. What is there to mind? I spoke to someone downstairs who gave me a message for you.' I was to say that Tompkins was huffy. Do you understand? Olga bit her lip in vexation and to restrain a laugh. Oh, no, that's too bad. Oh, but just like her. That was the girl I live with, Miss Bonnycastle. She's very nice, really, not a bit of harm in her. But she will play these silly practical jokes. Oh, it was a joke, said Irene not altogether pleased with Miss Bonnycastle's facetiousness. But the next moment, good humour coming to her help, she broke into merriment. "'That's what she does,' said Olga, pointing to the walls. "'She's awfully clever, really, and she'll make a great success with that sort of thing before long, I'm sure. Look at that advertisement of Honey's Castor Oil. Isn't the child's face splendid?' "'Very clever indeed,' assented Irene, and laughed again, her cousin joining in her mirth. Five minutes ago she had felt anything but hilarious. The impulse to gaiety came she knew not how, and she indulged it with a sense of relief. "'Are you doing the same sort of thing, Olga?' "'Oh, wish I could. I've a little work for a new fashion paper. Have to fill in the heads and arms and so on. It isn't high art, you know, but they pay me.' Why in the world do you do it? Why do you live in a place like this? Oh, I like the life, on the whole. It's freedom. No society nonsense. 
i beg your pardon irene oh, please don't i hope i'm not much in the way of society nonsense sit down i want to talk when did you see your mother not for a long time answered olga her countenance falling i sent her the new address when i came here but she hasn't been yet why don't you go to her oh no i've broken with that world i can't make calls in bryanston square or anywhere else that's all over nonsense it isn't nonsense exclaimed olga flushing angrily why do you come to interfere with me what right have you irene i'm old enough to live as i please i don't come to criticise your life irene was startled into silence for a moment she met her cousin's look and so gravely so kindly that olga turned away in shame you and i used to be friends and to have confidence in each other resumed irene why can't that come over again couldn't you tell me what it all means dear the other shook her head keeping her eyes averted my first reason for coming irene pursued was to talk to you about your mother do you know that she's very far from well my father speaks very seriously of her state of health something is weighing on her mind as anyone can see and we think it can only be you your strange life and your neglect of her olga shook her head you're mistaken i know you are you know then can you tell us how to be of use to her to speak plainly my father fears the worst if something isn't done with elbow on knee and chin in hand olga sat brooding she had a dishevelled wild appearance her cheeks were hollow her eyes and lips expressed a reckless mood it's not on my account she let fall abstractedly can you help her olga no one can help her was the reply in the same dreamy tone then followed a long silence irene gazed at one of the flaring grotesques on the wall but did not see it may i ask you a question about your own affairs she said at length very gently it isn't for curiosity i have a deeper interest of course you may ask irene i'm behaving badly to you but i don't mean it i'm miserable that's what it comes to i can see that dear am i right in thinking that your engagement has been broken off i'll tell you you shall know the whole truth it isn't broken yet i'm sure it'll never come to anything i don't think i want it to he behaves so strangely you know we were to have been married after the twelve month with mother's consent when the time drew near i saw he didn't wish it he said that after all he was afraid it would be a miserable marriage for me the trouble is he has no character no will he cares for me a great deal and that's just why he won't marry me he'll never do anything in art i mean we should have to live on mother's money and he doesn't like that if we'd been married straight away as i wanted two years ago it would have been all right it's too late now and this you feel is ruining your life 
I'm troubled about it, but more on his account than mine. I'll tell you, Irene, I want to break it off for good and all, and I'm afraid. It's a hard thing to do. Now I understand you. Do you think, Irene added in another tone, that it's well to be what they call in love with the man one marries? Think? Of course I do. Many people doubt it. We are told that French marriages are often happier than English because they are arranged with a practical view by experienced people. It depends, replied Olga with a half-disdainful smile, what one calls happiness. I, for one, don't want a respectable, plodding, money-saving married life. I'm not fit for it. Of course, some people are. Then you could never bring yourself to marry a man you merely liked in a friendly way? Oh, I think it horrible, hideous, was the excited reply. And yet, her voice dropped, it may not be so for some women. I judge only by myself. I suspect, Olga, that some people are never in love, never could be in that state. I dare say, poor things. Irene, though much in earnest, was moved to laugh. After all, you know, she said, they have less worry. Oh, of course they have, and live more useful lives if it comes to that. A useful life isn't to be despised, you know. Olga looked at her cousin, so fixedly that Irene had to turn away, and in a moment spoke as though changing the subject. Have you heard that Mr. Otway is coming to England again? What? cried Olga with sudden astonishment. You're thinking of him? Of Piers Otway? Irene became the colour of the rose. Her eyes flashed with annoyance. How extraordinary you are, Olga! As if one couldn't mention anyone without that sort of meaning. I spoke of Mr. Otway by pure accident. He had nothing whatever to do with what I was saying before. Olga sank into dullness again, murmuring, I beg your pardon. When a minute had elapsed in silence, she added without looking up, He was dreadfully in love with you, poor fellow. I suppose he has got over it. An uncertain movement, a wandering look, and Miss Derwent rose. She stood before one of the rough-washed posters, seeming to admire it. Olga eyed her askance with curiosity. I know only one thing, Irene exclaimed abruptly without turning. It's better not to think too much about all that. How can one think too much of it? said the other. Very easily, I'm afraid, rejoined the other, her eyes still on the picture. It's the only thing in life worth thinking about. You astonish me. We'll agree to differ. Olga, dear, come and see us in the old way. Come and dine this evening. We shall be alone. But the unkempt girl was not to be persuaded, and Irene presently took her leave. The conversation had perturbed her. She went away in a very unwonted frame of mind, beset with troublesome fancies and misgivings. Olga's state seemed to her thoroughly unwholesome, to be regarded as a warning. It was evidently contagious. It affected the imagination with morbid allurement. Morbid, surely. Irene would not see it in any other light. 
she felt the need of protecting herself against thoughts which had never until now given her a moment's uneasiness happily she was going to lunch with her friend mrs borisoff anything but a sentimental person she began to discern a possibility of taking helen borisoff into her confidence with someone she must talk freely olga would only harm her in helen she might find the tonic of sound sense which her mood demanded olga hannaford meanwhile finished her toilet and having had no breakfast went out a little after midday to the restaurant in oxford street where she often lunched her walking dress showed something of the influence of miss bonnycastle it was more picturesque more likely to draw the eye than her costume of former days she walked too with an air of liberty which marked her spiritual progress women glanced at her and looked away with a toss of the head or its more polite equivalent men observed her with a smile of interest a fine girl was their comment or something to that effect strolling westward after her meal intending to make a circuit by way of edgware road she was near the marble arch when a man who had caught sight of her from the top of an omnibus alighted and hastened in her direction at the sound of his voice olga paused smiling and gave him her hand with friendliness he was an italian his name was florio they had met several times at a house which she visited with miss bonnycastle mr florio had a noticeable visage very dark a tone eyes which at one time seemed to glow with noble emotion and at another betrayed excessive shrewdness heavy eyebrows and long black lashes a nose of classical perfection a large mouth with thick and very red lips he was dressed in approved english fashion as a man of leisure wore a massive watch-guard across his buff summer waistcoat and carried a silver-headed cane you are taking a little walk he said with a very slight foreign accent if you will let me walk with you a little way i shall be honoured the park a delightful day for the park let us walk over the grass as we may do in this free country i have something to tell you miss hannaford oh, that's nice of you mr florio so few people tell one anything one doesn't know but yours is sure to be real news oh, it is i assure you it is but first of all i was thinking on the bus i often ride on the bus it gives one ideas i was thinking what a pity they do not use the back of the bus driver to display advertisements it is a loss of space those men are so beautifully broad and one looks at their backs and there is nothing nothing to see but an ugly coat i shall mention my little scheme to a friend of mine a very practical man olga laughed merrily oh you are too clever mr florio oh, i have my little ideas do you know i've just come back from italy i envy you i mean i envy you for having been there ah that is your mistake dear miss hannaford that is the mistake of the romantic english young lady italy yes there is a blue sky not always yes there are ruins that interest if one is educated and there is misery misery italy is a poor country poor 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 he intoned the words as if speaking his own language 
and poverty is the worst thing in the world you make an illusion for yourself miss hannaford for a holiday when one's rich yes italy is not bad though there is fever and there are thieves oh thieves of course the man who is poor will steal ecco it amuses me when the english talk of italy but you are proud of, of your memories memories mr florio laughed a whole melody one is not proud of former riches when one has become a beggar it is you the english who can be proud of the past because you can be proud of the present you have grown free 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 rich 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 olga laughed i am sorry to say that i have not grown rich he bent his gaze upon her and it glowed with tender amorousness you remind me i have something to tell you in italy not everybody is quite poor for example my grandfather at bologna i have made a visit to my grandfather he likes me he admires me because i have intelligence he will not live very long that poor grandfather olga glanced at him and met the queer calculating melancholy of his fine eyes miss hannaford if some day i am rich i shall of course live in england in what other country can one live i shall have a house in the west end i shall have a carriage i shall nationalize oh, no you say naturalize myself and be an englishman not a beggarly italian and that will not be long the poor old grandfather is weak weak he decays he loses his mind but he has made his testament oh yes the girl's look wandered about the grassy space she was uneasy shall we turn and walk back mr florio oh if you wish but slowly slowly i am so happy to have met you your company is a delight to me miss hannaford can we not meet more often i'm always glad to see you she answered nervously good a thought occurs to me he pointed to the iron fence they were approaching is not that a waste why does not the public authority what do you call it make money of these railings imagine one attaches advertisements to the rail metal plates of course artistically designed not to spoil the park they might swing in the wind as it blows and perhaps little bells might ring to attract attention a good idea is it not a splendid idea olga answered with a laugh ah england is a great country but miss hannaford there is one thing in which the italian is not inferior to the englishman may i say what that is oh there are many things i'm sure but there is one thing that is love olga walked on head bent and florio enveloped her in his gaze to-day i say no more miss hannaford i had something to tell you and i have told it when i have something more to tell we shall meet oh i am sure we shall meet 
you are staying in england for some time said olga as if in ordinary conversation for a little time i come i go i have you know my affairs my business how is your friend the admirable artist the charming miss bonnicastle oh very well always well oh yes the english ladies they have wonderful health i admire them but there is one i admire most of all a few remarks more of like tenor and they drew near again to the marble arch with bows and compliments and significant looks mr florio walked briskly away in search of an omnibus olga her eyes cast down as she turned homeward was not aware that someone who had held her in sight for a long time grew gradually near until he stepped to her side it was mr kite he looked at her with a melancholy smile on his long lank face and when at length the girl saw him took off his shabby hat respectfully olga nodded and walked on without speaking kite accompanying her End of chapter sixteen